Hey folks, welcome into Tighten Up Talk. Here I'm Blake Shoemaker, here as always with our boy Chase Green. And very special guest today, Mike Herndon from Broadway Sports based out of Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, you may know him uh, formerly writing for Music City Miracles for SB Nation. Um, funny story, I was just telling the guys before we went live that I've been reading Mike's stuff for years when he was just doing it for fun, uh, just kind of as a side thing. And then, you know, when things started to change there, who would have thought it would lead to where it led as far as starting your own media company in Nashville? So, what? I mean, we've been in this, what, almost a couple of years now? Yeah, um, I guess we're coming up on our one-year anniversary, actually. I think we launched in July of last year, uh, officially. Um, obviously, we were working on it uh, for quite a while before that. But, um, yeah, it's been uh, been about a year, but time has flown by. Um, it's been incredibly fun to work on that project. And, and you know, we've got a lot of really great, talented people uh, kind of involved in it and it's just been fun to, to be a part of it. So it's been uh, been a cool experience. Yeah. And I mean, you may know him from his tape breakdowns, the all 22 and, you know, not just that to have people on the team like John Glennon, uh, you know, Justin, you know, better known as Titans film room, uh, Justin Mello, just a great all-star team. I mean, how has the transition been from kind of doing this for fun to kind of being like really an officially recognized media company? <laughs> you know, it's been, uh, it's been crazy. Cause I mean, to be honest with you, you know, I, I was a Music City Miracles commentator, you know, or commenter for forever. I, I would go in there and get in stupid arguments about Marcus Mariota or or whoever the, the you know, players were at the time. Haven't we all? And, and uh, so, <laughs> yeah, so I, I would, uh, you know, be in there constantly. And then, you know, I started to kind of like do my own research, you know, a lot of times just to win an argument in there. And uh, so I, I would, you know do a bunch of research and write out something really detailed. And then I was like, you know, I should, I should probably put together like a more formal version of this. So I started doing like fan posts on there and stuff like that. And then eventually, you know, Jimmy Morris was looking for uh, additional writers and a bunch of people were like, Hey, you should put your name in there. So I was like, Oh, whatever, you know, we'll see. I've, you know, haven't, don't really have any writing experience before that besides, you know, uh, you know, college uh, essays and, and stuff like that back in the day, but um, you know, just threw my name in there and, and started doing it. And um, you know, I like to think I've gotten better over time. Um, but you know, it's just one of those things. It, it's worked out, and um, it's been fun. It's been fun to meet you know so many different people in in the industry, and uh, you know, people like John Glennon, who I literally grew up reading in the newspaper and, and seeing his mm -hmm. byline and stuff like that. And then I'll be, you know, texting him about Titan stuff or, or just, you know, chatting generally with him or going out and seeing him at training camp and stuff like that. It's, it's very cool. Um, very surreal still, uh, you know, even after uh, a year in, but uh, yeah, it's been, been a lot of fun. I bet that's, that's it. So it's cool. very interesting. Like getting, having those connections, like just being like, Oh, the dude that I read for so long is now yeah. like in my text message group. It's pretty yeah, sweet. Yeah, it, it's very different. And it's something that I had no intention of this being the case when I started doing this thing. Um, you know, it was always just kind of a hobby and, and uh, mm -hmm. you know, something fun. And it's turned into um, a very time-consuming hobby. That yeah. It's turned into kind of a business. So it's uh, – you know, it, it, it is taken off and taken an, a life of its own. But, um, yeah, it's uh, I've learned a lot and, and gotten to do some cool stuff along the way and, and hope to be able to do more cool stuff uh, in the coming years. So 
There you go. I got to say, y'all's draft coverage was so good. I mean, the interviews good, with the prospects and everything. I mean, no sooner was the draft pick announced than boom, social media, you had the interview up and everything. So yeah. just Justin not just, yeah. yeah, he not absolutely just, kills it with that stuff. Yeah, not just, you know, doing your prep, but actually having the video packages ready to go and doing all that legwork and putting in the time and putting in the, you know, so cool because, I mean, when you do these interviews, you don't know if these people are going to be drafted. I mean, you don't know where the chips are going to fall. I mean, you could have done all that work for no reason, but right. <laughs> it, it was so good. So good yeah, this year. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yeah. And listen, all the interview stuff is just totally credit to Justin Mello. He works his butt off getting interviews with draft prospects. He does a ton of research on draft prospects. He knows, you know, he, he's one of these guys and uh, he kind of like me, you know, started off just doing this, you know, work, working at uh draft wire, I think was kind of one of his first gigs uh, interviewing prospects and stuff like that. And, and he's built this network where now he, he knows a bunch of NFL agents, knows the players can text, you know, he, you know, he can text players and they text him right back, you know, like yeah. it, it's uh, it, it's, it's a totally different deal. And, but yeah, he hustles like crazy. One of the hardest working guys in the business, like, legitimately um buses butt constantly for information for interviews trying to get you know the best coverage and the best information um you know to our subscribers that, that we possibly can and he absolutely crushes it and especially with the draft he absolutely knocked it out of the park yeah That's you can awesome. tell he loves it you can tell he, he loves does. that stuff yeah yeah, yeah he embraces yeah. that and he's what? a competitive little dude too man he uh, oh, he really? does not like to get beat on stuff so he uh yeah okay yeah, very competitive. <laughs> hey, you have you have to be in any sort Absolutely. of sports media. Absolutely. It's a crowded space. You got to be. Yeah. yeah. And no y'all doubt. do a good job of that, Matt. But we'll go ahead and get to some some questions here. Got to get you back. Um, speaking of some draft, we know had a little pickup here and there from the offseason. What do you see moves-wise in the future Titans making? What do you see yeah, in the future here? You know, I, the Julio Jones thing keeps floating out there, oh, right? you know? We're going to get there. We're going to get there. So hold <laughs> the on that. Uh, I'll, I'll hold, uh, hold my gunpowder there. But All right. I think I think they've got – there's still positions that you don't feel great about, right? You know, like mm-hmm. outside linebacker, Harold Landry's a nice player, Bud Dupree's a nice player. But once you get beyond those guys, you know, Rashad Weaver, I, I liked him as a prospect coming out and think he could be a good football player. But – is he going to be suspended? Is he going to be, you know, what, what's going to happen yeah. with that whole incident? And then you don't know. I mean, he's a fourth round pick. He might, he might just not be good. Um, so I don't think you can feel great about the depth there. And look, that, that's such a problem spot for them uh, over the last few years that I don't know how they could enter the season confidently without adding there. And, you know, there's guys like Justin Houston, Melvin Ingram, Olivier Vernon, uh, you know, um, uh, Everson Griffin, still some guys out there that are veterans that could come in and give you, you know, a rotational type role uh, and give you a little bit of insurance in case Bud Dupree's knee needs a little bit more time uh, to, you know, build up strength or in case Rashad Weaver suspended for, you know, however many games or, or, you know, Harold Landry has been incredibly healthy given the number of snaps he's played here. What if Harold Landry gets hurt? You know, he's not Superman either. So, mm-hmm. They need some depth there. I think the same could be said for wide receiver and tight end, obviously, too. So there's there's definitely some spots 
uh, where you would like to see more, but there's also some spots where they're great. I think their offensive line room is really good now. I think the cornerbacks are really deep uh, and, and, you know, a little bit of an unknown, but they're very deep. They've yeah. got a lot of bodies there. So um, those those spots I feel good about. Uh, the other ones, not so much. Hmm. Yeah, because I was kind of wondering. I mean, it's funny because I kind of looked at the – uh, one of our friends just sent sent me like a, a display of the starting lineup, and I was like, "Man, the corner spot it looks really good." I mean, yeah. it, we've had questionable like even second to third. Now you're like, "Hey, not too shabby." So it looks it does look good, man. And I'm 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 very intrigued to see what they're going to do in the secondary. You know, as far as do they produce? Because you know it's going to be a good early test against Arizona. Because anybody that has to guard. You know, DeAndre Hopkins, good luck out there. So. All, all that uh, Caleb Farley confidence is going to be put to the test right away. So, mm-hmm. yeah. For but, sure. I mean, you know, honestly, like, and I know some people are like, you know, hey, play a game before you talk all this noise, rookie, you know, that, that kind of thing. Look, if you're going to play cornerback in the NFL, you've almost got to be that mm-hmm. kind of crazy swagger, confidence, like cocky, borderline arrogant kind of guy. Like, I feel like the great cornerbacks – have that kind of personality trait and mm-hmm. hey you know if if farley uh can back it up then then he'll uh certainly live up to his draft stocks there yeah that's the big thing is he's gonna have to back it up because yeah. he does have that swag dude it's a, it's it's a little diva you know you gotta yeah, be yeah. A diva on offense and defense wide receiver and corners yeah that's what they're you know a lot of the good ones are and that's okay but exactly. uh, you gotta be a little he's got a little bit of that in him and i mean that's fine yeah. you know he, he's a, he's got he's wearing the dolce and gabbana glasses and the big chains hanging out at the rookie premiere like i'm good with that you look you know he produces so yeah. i almost at those positions there's certain positions where it's almost like you have to have that mentality of like i'm the best person on the field nobody's stopping me nobody's getting a catch on me whatever it may be I feel like you got to have that at those like corner and wide receiver spots for whatever reason. Those are the mm-hmm. mentalities that that seems to just thrive in that environment. So, yeah. So on the yeah. offensive side of the ball, what which position? I know we have depth issues at wide receiver and at tight end. Which of the two are you more concerned about right now? Oh goodness, um, mm. I would say probably tight end actually because. There's just so little – like, I like Anthony Ferkser. I think he's a good player. I've, I've been on the Ferkser. I, I, I actually believe myself to be the originator of the Anthony Ferkser hype train. Okay. I was tweeting about this guy in training camp of – God, what was it? I think it was 2018. I was out there, and he was, like, just a camp invite guy. I had no idea who he was before I showed up the first day. And I, I see this guy, 86, out there catching passes, and I'm like, wow, that guy looked really good right there who is that? And I looked at my little roster sheet and I go, Anthony Ferks or Harvard. Okay. All right. You know, whatever. We'll, we'll see. So I keep watching practice and I keep seeing this guy make plays and I'm like, okay, let's, let's, let's do some research after practice and see what this guy's all about. So I look him up and it's like, he played like wide receiver at Harvard. And then he was a fullback for the jets. And like, he, he's kind of bounced around different positions and stuff, you know, train different, uh, practice squad and stuff like that. And then, uh, you know, I go out the next day and he keeps making plays. And I'm like, this Ferkser guy's got a little something. And it just kept going. Every day I'd go out there, he'd be making plays. And it's it's continued. So every time he's gotten a bigger chance, he's made more plays. However, he's not a blocker. And he's never they've never really asked him to block. And, you know, while it's great that he can, he can perform some of the – he's almost just a jumbo slot receiver, which is fine. And, and he's great at it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but they need somebody in that role that can can kind of provide that pass catch and run block threat like you know you put those guys on the field you put the defense in a little bit of a bind personnel wise do you try to match up with him as a receiver and go light and then he can punish us with you know by helping block for derrick henry or do we go uh you know heavy and load up for the run and then he's going to cook whoever our linebacker is in coverage so those guys and that that's kind of what johnny smith was by the end of his time here so mm-hmm. i think they need somebody who can put the the defense into that conflict because Swaim's really truly a blocker. Ferkser's truly a pass catcher. They don't have anybody that combines the two right now on the roster, and you know they've got plenty of bodies down there. It, you know, I think uh, a guy to look for in camp um, is Tommy Hudson, the the UDFA out of Arizona State that was on the practice squad last year. Actually, got suspended for uh, I think it was PEDs um, at one point last year. But the interesting thing was. They kept him on the roster mm-hmm. all through the PED suspension. It would have been real easy to just cut the guy instead of having him stick around and soak up a, a practice squad spot, which was really valuable last year with all the COVID stuff going on. Mm-hmm. It would have been real easy for them to just cut him and, and move on, but they kept him around. I think they like him a little bit. Good blocker uh, is kind of his MO coming out. Got the prototypical like 6'5", 260 frame for a Y-type inline, inline tight end kind of guy. Um, and I, I think he's probably the guy to watch for like that third, fourth tight end spot as this, as the roster stands now, but I wouldn't be surprised if they make an addition there because that, that, that banking on him to kind of come in and be your third guy, this, this team plays a lot of tight ends. They're going to play their third tight end, you know, they're going to play their fourth tight end probably. Uh, so I think they need one more there. And and if it's a David Njoku or OJ Howard that comes available or, you know, maybe even Zach Hurts, I, I, Ertz would not be my favorite uh, out of that group. I, I, I really kind of like Njoku. I think he's the most intriguing. Um, but any of those three would be a pretty big upgrade over what they've got right now and give them a little bit more balanced uh, threat out of the tight end room. Yeah, because I was actually talking about that today with some friends. You know, if you get Njoku, it's kind of like not the safest, but you yeah. know you're going to get good production. Like there's always the what if with OJ. Because, I mean, when he came out of Bama, like everybody kind of thought he was going to be similar to what you think maybe even Kyle Pitts can be. Yeah. So it, there was that, oh, my gosh, we're this this guy's going to be a freak, and he's going to be mm-hmm. perfect down there in that system. Just never panned out. So there is that, like, crazy potential upside, but it's always tough, especially when it's not worked out so far, that that's ever going to come back, you know? Yeah. So. The injury stuff scares you a little bit with, with OJ, especially coming off an Achilles, and he probably won't be ready until training camp anyway. So that's yeah. that's tough. That's yeah. Tough. Well, so with the loss of Arthur Smith, and do you think Titans keep up the same production, and what kind of changes do you see under Downing? You know, it's going to be fascinating to see because, you know, Downing ran a very different uh, style of offense uh, when he was with Oakland the one year that he was a play caller down there. Um, Mm -hmm. It didn't go great uh, his time there, but if you look into that season for the Raiders, it was extremely complicated what was going on down there. They had an almost like revolt in the locker room at one point. That was the year that Amari Cooper forgot how to catch and was suddenly dropping everything. Uh, There was a lot going on with that Raiders team that I don't think was necessarily a reflection of downing specifically. So, uh, but he did, you know, run a little bit more 11 personnel. He was a little bit more pass happy than, than what the Titans have been the last few years. 
I think he's probably going to adapt more to the Titans than the Titans are going to adapt to him. I think he's probably going to run a lot of similar looks, a lot of similar uh, scheme plays, you know, everything from what Arthur Smith did. I think he's going to kind of take the ball and try to keep it rolling because obviously the offense has been great the last couple of years. So mm-hmm. why try to go change what's working really well it, when you, you do have, you know, a lot of starters coming back? Yes, you've lost Corey Davis, Johnny Smith, um, Dennis Kelly, but the other the other eight starters are all back, um, and, and most of the guys that are going to be playing snaps for you are, have been here for a little while. So, um, I, it's going to be interesting because not only do you have that dynamic, but you've also got you know the players lost and they didn't really replace them, right? You know, Josh mm-hmm. Reynolds, solid receiver. You know, like you, if you you can put him on the field and and feel like he's not a huge liability necessarily, but I don't, I also don't think he's like a huge matchup winner. Uh, so, but I think what the Titans are doing and, and we'll see if they're right or not, because I, I, I do have some doubts about their approach on offense. I think what they're doing is telling us that, Hey, this offense is predicated around a really good offensive line, Ryan Tannehill, Derek Henry and AJ Brown. Those are the guys that matter in this offense, and everyone else is a product of the system. Corey Davis, you know, if you look back to 2019, he was not productive during the run when Tannehill uh, took over, and they were—I mean—they were scoring 30 plus points a game and putting up crazy numbers during that stretch. He only had, I think, more than 82 yards once yeah. uh, during that entire stretch, and most of his—I think most of his games were 50 yards or less. So it's not like we haven't seen this offense generate huge numbers without a, a viable wide receiver too. Cause I mean, it, it was, yeah, it, it was AJ Brown and that was about it, you know? Yeah. So um, I think the way that they look at it and Joe Rexford had a piece in the athletic earlier this off season about uh, that kind of, it mentioned they like Nick Westbrook Aquina more than, than, than most people probably think. And mm-hmm. then also, but I think the most interesting part of that was they thought that, a lot of Corey Davis's production was just a product of the system and, and that not a, a necessarily a knock against Davis, but that they think someone else can come into that spot. And with AJ Brown across from them and with Derrick Henry in the backfield, they're going to get a lot of one-on-ones. They're going to get a lot of an- advantageous matchups and that maybe Josh Reynolds can come in and produce, you know, 800, 900 yards like Corey Davis did. So I think it's it's an interesting bet, right? Like, because that I think that's very much the direction that they've told us they're going, and they're going to use these resources that they're saving to spend to fix the defense, which was you know a, a glaring weakness, obviously. Yep. Um, so it's a it's a logical approach in some degree, but I think the risk is that if you take too much away from the offense and you backslide from like a top three, top four type offense to a you know even if it's just top you know. 12 to 14 the recent history tells us that you better have a top eight offense if you want to be playing in the uh the conference championship games i mean no team has made the conference championship game without a top eight offense by dvoa uh since i think 2017 so it's been a minute since they've uh since we've seen somebody not have an elite offense and make it very far in the playoffs so Mm -hmm. um they have to keep they have to maintain that offensive system and they they are telling us they think it's it's all about the guys that are coming back not about the guys who left yeah 
I think it's interesting to kind of look at. I mean, we're in a situation. This may be one of the most. In, this may be the most intriguing year under Mike Vrabel we've ever seen because we're looking at the third offensive coordinator in four seasons. You know, we had Lafleur, then you got Art Smith for a couple of years, and now we're on the third one. And it makes you wonder, on the offensive side of the ball, was it more of the coaching or was it more of the players? And I think we're going to see that this year more than anything because we've got some holes in that offense you know, at tight end, you know, and at a true wide receiver too, that we maybe not have had to deal with before. Uh, under Vrabel, you know, their offensive ranks in points scored and yards have gone up every single year. In points, they went from 27th to 10th to 4th. In yards, they went from 25th to 12th to 2nd. So every year you're getting better, but you've got some key losses here that we don't, we really don't know what we have right now. I mean, you you added some wide receivers in free agency and through the draft, but we don't really know what we have just yet. And you really haven't done anything to address the tight end position. Um, you know, the other side of that, too, if you look at those same stats in defensive ranks, in points allowed and yards allowed, it's gotten worse every single nice. year. You know, in points, third to 12th to 24th, and in yards, 8th to 21st to 28th. So, you know, obviously, you know, essentially firing your entire defense in the offseason was – probably something that needed to happen. I don't know that any of us would have thought that it went to the, that it would go to the degree that it actually did. But like you said earlier, the the amount of depth especially at cornerback and you know adding some really big free agent names. I think it's going to be one of the most interesting years uh, if not the most interesting year that we've had under Mike Prabel. Yeah. Absolutely. And and your point about the coaching I think is interesting because uh Vrabel and it came up in a Dean Pease interview on a podcast that he went on. I think it's the Make Defense Great Again uh, podcast mm-hmm. with Coach Vass, um, which is fantastic, by the way. If, if you are interested in X's and O's and that kind of thing, he goes way deep into scheme and stuff like that. It's really good. But Dean Pease went on his podcast, um, I think it was last offseason, and he was asked about the different coaches and how they spent their time. And And one of the big news items that came out of that was – he was talking about Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. And he said, when I was with Belichick in new England, Belichick spent 90% of his time with Tom Brady. He wasn't in the defensive meeting rooms. He wasn't, you know, everyone thinks of Belichick as a defensive coach. He said he spent all his time with Tom Brady and he was telling Tom Brady, this is what defenses are going to try to do to you. And, And he said it was such a valuable tool for Brady, especially during the early stages of his development, because he had this defensive genius telling him, you know, hey, this is how I would defend you. This is how they're going to try to, this is what they're going to try to take away. And this is how you make, you know, this is how you make it work. This is how you work around that. So he was getting, he was spending, you know, 90% of his time with Brady. Well, they asked him about Vrabel and he said Vrabel was a lot like Belichick that he pretty much left Pease alone with the defense during his two years as defensive coordinator. And Vrabel spent most of his time with the offense. So I, you know, I don't think, a lot of times Rabel doesn't get any credit at all for the offense uh, offensive improvement because he's labeled as a defensive coach. You know, that's mm-hmm. his background. That's what he played. That's what he's coached all, all that. But he does, he is really a, a, an all around coach. You know, if you watch him at practice, he goes offense, he goes defense, he goes to every position group. He floats around. I think he probably deserves a little bit of credit for the offensive improvement on the, on that side of the ball. And, and whether that, you know, I think that that'll be something that we can kind of see maybe a little bit when, when, you know, Arthur Smith's removed from the equation now, because mm-hmm. we can kind of see, all right, is, is Rabel uh, able to coach up Downing as far as being an offensive coordinator and helping him 
grow in that role. Um, and it would be quite a quite a feat if Downing is a head coach here in, in two or three years and, and oh, Frable goes three for three with uh, putting offensive coordinators into head coaching roles. But uh, we're, we're a long way from long way away from that. But I do think Vrabel's impact on the offensive side of the ball is something that's that's probably under discussed at times. Yeah, I guess I've never really thought about that because, you know, it is he's still the head coach as much as you want to label him as a defensive guy. He's still the head coach. This will this will be his test. This will be the one that he'll probably get some clap for. It's like, hey, look what this guy's produced. Three for three would be big time. <laughs> You'd hate to see him lose somebody else again because, you sure. know, good for art. That was cool. You know, he went on busting the boys and you got to know him personally. Like, oh, this dude's pretty cool. So speaking of Atlanta, we got to ask you. What's it going to take? Because, you know, you, you can hear about some draft picks or compensation stuff. It wouldn't be that crazy. What's going to have to happen, like restructuring-wise, deals, money, numbers? What's going to have to happen if the Titans are even want to be players in this Julio Jones situation? So it, it's surprisingly easy for them. Um, they have, I think, $3 million-ish in cap space yeah. right now, which is is not much. Um, not, certainly not enough to c- cover Julio Jones's cap hit for this year, which like I think bottom is 10 right now. Ish. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but they all, all they have to do is convert Ryan Tannehill's 2021 salary into a bonus and, and then spread it out over 20, his 2022 and 2023 years. And, you know, it's not, it's not taking any money away from Ryan Tannehill. All it is is restructuring how it's accounted for. And frankly, mm-hmm. it doesn't even change the way he's paid. Usually when they do these uh, adjustments, they will convert the salary to a bonus, but then they'll pay out the bonus like they would the, the normal salary. So they they're mm. pay they're it's a bonus from an accounting standpoint, but from a payment standpoint, cash in pocket, you know, he's still getting his paychecks the same time that he normally would. So, and uh, most NFL contracts actually have clauses in them that don't even require the playoff player to sign off on it because it doesn't affect them whatsoever. It's not changing anything except for the accounting of how the money is distributed for the salary cap. So the Titans likely can just say, all right, we're restructuring Ryan Tannehill done. Boom. There's $16 million on your cap uh, for this year that that you just added to your bottom line. So they can create 16. I think it's between 16 and 17 million just like that, just by restructuring Ryan Tannehill. I don't even think they have to ask him most likely. Hmm. Um, And it's that easy. So now the downside is you add $8 million to your cap hits in uh, 2022 and 2023. So you're kind of kicking the can down the road on Tannehill's money somewhat. Um, but again, it doesn't affect the way he's paid or anything like that. It's just, it's just an accounting trick basically. So um, yeah, it's, it's really actually super easy for them to, to make this room uh, that they would need to get a Julio Jones on board. It's just a question of whether or not they think it's worth it um, for the player and, and, and obviously the draft pick compensation or whatever Atlanta's looking to get back uh, in the deal as well. Okay. I think it's funny you mentioned that. I was reading an article earlier today. I forget where I read it, but they were actually envisioning that exact scenario that Atlanta could still technically do exactly that, basically kick the can down the road. And it would make their future even more bleak than it even is now, which is kind of hard to imagine. But, you know, they are in the very definition of salary cap hell right now. With Art Smith taking over there and kind of trying to create this new identity, do you think Atlanta would take the chance of maybe trying to keep him around for one more year? Um, I 
Yeah, I, I don't think it would be um, a bad move for them, frankly, because, I mean, it would be interesting to see what you could do with one year of Kyle Pitts and, and Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley, uh, all with Arthur Smith. I mean, that, that would be one of the more interesting offenses in the NFL, I think. So um, if I was them, I, I would certainly be interested in that. But it sounds to me like they are leaning towards let's just rip off the Band-Aid and get them out of here. Um, and, and, you know, because they've got to do something to get in cap compliance one way or another, whether it's yeah. restructuring him or extending Grady <clears throat> Jarrett. I think those are really kind of the two options that are available to them. Uh, but they've got to do something. And, and Julio trading Julio is probably the um, the best path forward for them from a long-term perspective as far as just clearing off the books and getting something back in return. So. Gotcha. Well, I got one last question for you. I randomly saw this tweet the other day from you, and you gave a little shout-out, a little praise hands for uh, Whataburger. So yes. one of my favorite Nashville things, it's a good burger town. It's a good burger town. What's your it number is. one in Nashville? Na- we'll give, I'll give you the greater Nashville area. So number number one for me in Nashville is Gabby's, which is over by Greer Stadium, the Sounds Old uh, Ballpark. Mm-hmm. It is like an old school greasy greasy yes. burger place. I mean, it, it they got all the regular stuff, but it's just a really good greasy burger. I, I love Gabby's, uh, and then I also I'm a big fan of ML Rose. ML Rose has r- really good burgers. We just got one in Mount Juliet where I live, so we're getting a, an ML Rose and a Whataburger in Mount Juliet. And I'm like over the moon right now. Cause I'm like, man, my food upgrades in, in my town Huge. here, are just like going through the roof. So I'm going to be probably about like 50 pounds heavier next time I talk to you guys, but I mean, it'll be good burger weight. So, you know, that's, yeah, that's Mike's going to be thick <laughs> come tight in season, baby. That's <laughs> right. You know, I haven't gotten to spend as much time in Nashville as I would have liked since moving up here, but I think the best one I've had up there so far was a uh, pharmacy burger. And oh, it's yeah, hilarious because really yeah. I'm I'm a pharmacist, so that has nothing to do with my selection <laughs> of that. But it was a really good burger. Um, we were really, really impressed good, with that when we visited. The atmosphere but too, like you said, brings that too. Yeah, oh, yeah, it really does. And you know, it's funny because we talk about things in Nashville, and I guess it's kind of spreading. We actually just got a party foul here in Chattanooga. Mm, that's good stuff. That's Haven't good been stuff. there yet. Uh, yeah. I've went to one in Nashville, and it was pretty darn good. But I can't wait to go check out the one here. Yeah, yeah. I, I I get crap for it because uh, everyone for some reason a lot of people crap on party foul up here. I love party foul; like it's legitimately my favorite hot chicken place in Nashville. Okay. So, yeah, I I would highly recommend it. Legitimately, the first ever hot chicken experience I ever had was there, and yeah. it was like, holy cow, they're not kidding when they, they say hot chicken. They, they are they, not oh, joking. Yeah, I, I kind of thought, you know, because I am I'm a spicy fan. To an extent, and then I was like, yeah. "Oh, I'm such a pansy at this." Doesn't yeah, work. yeah. You got to go easy. Like even oh, the yeah. medium is like melt your face, like you're sweating, nose is running, the whole yeah. deal. Uh, and then the poultry guys, which is like their hottest one, is like I, I won't even touch it. I, I won't even try <laughs> oh, it. No, but no. Uh, yeah, hot hot chicken B and B is the way to go there. Their beignets are really good. Ooh, mm. Good call. Well, Mike, we appreciate it, big dog. You have fun. Get back to that kiddo. And uh, we'll be talking to you soon, man. We'll keep uh, reading. Let the, let the people know where you want, where they can find you at. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, at Mike Miracles on uh, Twitter, and then uh, go to BroadwaySportsMedia.com. Check out all our, uh, our all our content up there. We've got uh, some draft breakdowns coming, some film breakdowns of all the the draft picks uh, coming to the site soon. So we're all working on that, trying to get those up. But uh, yeah, so check out check out all that stuff, and uh, yeah, come come uh, find me on Twitter. Sweet. Buddy, well, I appreciate it, and uh, tighten up, man. All right, see you, fellas.